My good people, greetings, how are you, what's going on, what is happening, how's everybody doing out there, hope everybody's feeling fantastic as we kick off another day and another week as I deliver everything that's happening in the sports universe on this week's edition of the J Reels podcast, I am your host J Reels, for my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 94 episodes, I welcome you guys back, again it's Monday, October the 7th, in the year of our Lord 2019, here's what I have on tap for you. College football season starting to heat up a little bit. You got a bunch of big games this weekend, including the Red River Shootout between Texas and Oklahoma. But we'll recap the past week in college football. A couple things shaking there as we touch on the college circuit. Of course, we'll touch on the pros as well. As week five, not a lot of interesting storylines, not a lot of juicy games. Although you did have a big upset in Kansas City, which now leaves us to two unbeaten teams in the NFL. And maybe one after this evening where the Niners will entertain the Browns on Monday Night Football. So we'll touch on that. NHL's four or five days into the season. Uh, maybe just a brief overview on what's happening there. But of course, it is October. And we're now deep into the postseason. Well, maybe not deep. We're deep into the division series from this regard. As today, the quadruple header with all four series going at it. Which could be closeout games. That's right. We could all have closeout games. And I believe game one of the NLCS won't start until Friday. So you hope to maybe get some extension in some of these games, whether it's in Tampa with Houston and Tampa looking to close out their series, whether it's in St. Louis as they look to stave off elimination against the Atlanta Braves, whether it's the Dodgers looking to close out the Washington Nationals in a game four in the nation's capital. And tonight closing out all four of the games will be the Yankees looking to dispose of the Twins in the Twin Cities and move on to the ALCS for their epic matchup, which looks to be against the Houston Astros. The early theme so far in this postseason, and I can't stand it. I can't stand baseball in 2019, and pretty much this is how it's been over the last few years. Unless you're the New York Yankees, and you have a bullpen that is super stacked, there's no way, shape, or form that these managers should overthink the positions of putting in their starting pitchers in relief situations to, and I get it's to win. We all understand that they want to do whatever it takes to win these games Because they feel like there's no tomorrow. But by sacrificing a Max Scherzer, by sacrificing a Patrick Corbin, that means you, Davey Martinez. When you look at what has happened here with the Nationals, when you look at even going back to the wildcard game, where the Milwaukee Brewers and Craig Council is on an early vacation, despite the fact that he's a slave to the analytics and to the stats, and we can understand why Josh Hader, a guy who has certainly had a dominant year, not like the year he had before in 2018, but a guy who pitches much more effective in two innings as opposed to one, but gets burned. They blew an awful game, and I get that the right fielder, Trent Grisham, had that ball go by him, which pretty much iced the game for the Washington Nationals, and they finally got a chance to win a game in the postseason. Now, of course, they've won postseason games in the past, but they haven't gotten over the hump as far as winning a postseason series is concerned. But here they are with all these managerial changes, even the Twins, instead of pitching Jake Odorizzi in a game two, they unfortunately, they brought the, the Dobnak kid, Randy Dobnak, who is an Uber driver, what was he, just two months ago or whatever it was, and here he is on the grandest of stages at Yankee Stadium in a game two in which they lost game one, 10 to four. And here we are looking at the Fu Manchu, and listen, you got to give it to him. I mean, he went out there and he tried to compete. But he is no match for that lineup. And we saw how they imploded 
in that game. So Rocco Baldelli trying to not pitch his second best starter in this postseason, which absolutely made zero sense. And to me, it just ruins baseball. It ruins the fabric. And I get that I sound like the old man, get off my lawn. Baseball should be played this way. Understood. But when you're accustomed to watching and seeing two dominant pitchers like Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, and mind you, they're on the same team. To me, that's what it's all about. It's about stretching those guys out and then giving your bullpen a chance to close out the game. Now, for the Yankees, it's a different formula because as we all know, they want their pitchers to go five and have the bullpen clean up the rest. Which I don't have a problem with, but even with Tanaka, who on game two, what did he throw? 78 pitches? And I get that's what he wants to do. He just wants to get five out of his starters. But if you give me one more inning, why not? Why extend your bullpen more than what you already have considering that he had to extend it there on Friday night? And he could say that he saved his bullpen all year for this moment or for these games. And rightfully and understandably so. But guess what? Why do you have to put out these pitchers or roll out these pitchers game in and game out for these batters to be that much more familiar with deliveries and their pitches and what they're going to throw when there could be a little bit of mystery and you won't have to worry about, oh, geez, we haven't seen Adovino or, hey, we haven't seen this guy. No, we have to just bring the whole cavalcade out for the whole world to see. And you know, time and time again, they will be exposed as frequent as you're going to put them out there for the whole world to be seen. And with the Yankees, they're up too well, so you're not going to worry about it. But at the same time, you would think that there would be just a little bit, just a little bit of restraint by not just pulling out all your cards or showing out all your cards to the other team just for the hell of it. And I don't like it the way this October has gone in that regard. You know, last night, why did David Martinez put Patrick Corbin in that game? I mean, to me, that absolutely made zero sense. I understand you're going to look around. Where's he going to go as far as bullpen help? But guess what? You got a bunch of guys back there. You got to deal with it. You got to put them there. You could arguably say that Patrick Corbin lost in the game last night. And here's a guy that you probably can't go back go back to in a game five. I understand you probably have to put Steven Strasburg there, which is understandably so. And remember, they even put Strasburg in that game against the Brewers last week, which he pitched phenomenal. And even Scherzer, for that matter, he had the one in there on Friday night, which he was dominant there as well. But these moves and these situations where they put these pitchers in, it just makes you shake your head. And it just, for a guy like me who's watched baseball my entire life, it's just puzzling to see. And I'm just dumbfounded by some of these moves that the managers make. Now, I understand people may say, come on, Jay Reels, even going back to the Royals of 2015, where they didn't really have like the dominant starting pitching. And they had the bullpen, whether it was Kelvin Herrera, Wade Davis, you know, guys like that. And they pretty much set the standard for how teams could be built in October when it comes to loading your bullpen with good arms and being able to shorten the game where all you need is five innings from your starters. All right. Understood. But too many teams try to do it or they try to be cued and they're even desperate to a certain degree when you look at what happened last night with David Martinez. And I just don't like it. It's just a bad brand of baseball. You know, you want your guys to go as far and as long in a game as possible. That's why, despite the fact that they're special talents, when you see Verlander and Cole go seven innings, you look at that and you say, yes, that's baseball. 
I don't care how dominant, even if they had a dominant bullpen, the Astros, there is no way on God's green earth that A.J. Hinch would even think about pitching Verlander five innings or Garrett Cole five innings, even if he had the Yankee bullpen. Because it doesn't make sense. The whole point is to ride your starters out as long and as far as they could go. And it's not a matter of giving your bullpen a rest. Because you understand these guys do need to pitch. Because the more idle and the more inactive they are, the more chances that they have to go in a game and spit it up. And that I understand too. But to me, when you have good starting pitching, and the Yankees, I'll go back to them, despite the fact that that's not their formula, but even with Tanaka, if he's going to give you five innings or even six innings, why don't you stretch him out? Why don't you let him pitch a sixth inning there against the Twins? Twins weren't coming back in that game. That game was 8-1 to one at that point. So if you go Tanaka for a sixth inning and you want to go 7-8-9, perfect, fine, understood. I just don't understand the urgency. I don't understand the reasoning for these managers to go right to their bullpens right away or to bring in their starters that pitched two days prior. I just, it's, ugh. it's just an ugly brand of baseball. And to me, it's a very, I'm not going to say confusing, but it's confusing from this standpoint that why would managers even sacrifice their future, sacrifice the next inning or the next game just for the sake of wanting to keep their team in the game and sacrifice the start in that regard. So that's the situation I have there. That's the one thing that bugs me about watching baseball now and especially in this postseason. You want to see these pitchers go deep into games and we understand that these managers, although they're trying to reinvent the wheel with bringing in pitchers in certain scenarios and situations, it just it just makes you scratch your head. That's all there is to it. And I understand that in a case where Corbin, if you bring him to the game and he shuts him down for two innings, he looks like a genius and he spits the bit the way he did yesterday and obviously he comes out looking like uh, a bed of black roses. So... But to me, I, I just think it's uh, way too much for the these teams to go ahead and push the envelope by bringing in these pitchers, especially these starters, in relief form. Unless it's a game five, you know, winner take all. We could totally understand that. All hands on deck. But to me, just a little premature for them to do these type of moves in these situations. And uh, again, it just uh, rattles me to no end. As far as these series go... We'll start with the American League only because the Yankees here in my backyard, literally here in the boogie down Bronx. I was actually at game one. I was fortunate enough to go to game one, which the atmosphere was electric. Everybody was festive. Everybody was in a party mood. Of course, it's a Friday. It's a weekend. And two things about the game. One was not only just the crowd and the energy was great. The game was forever, man. And I understand part of it was the pitching moves and to think the game didn't really get blown open until later on, 7th, 8th inning. But for it to be four hours for a 9-inning game is just an atrocity. It really is. And I'm not going to stand here and say that, oh, they need to speed it up this way or that way. Uh, to me, it's just a product of what we're watching here in 2019. Uh, that's all there is to it. And even with the Twins getting off to a, an early lead and Berrios, their starting pitcher, was not good. Uh, I don't know if the moment was too big for him. Who knows? But he certainly... Did not pitch very well. Neither did Paxton for that matter. Now, I understand with Paxton, he just had a couple of mistakes. He did strike out a lot of batters, but he was at 3-2 and two on a bunch of batters. A lot of full counts and certainly didn't make it past the fifth inning. But the game itself, the Yankees just pounded away. Obviously, the big hit of the game was Gleyber Torres hitting that double down the line to make it 5-3. to three. And even though the Twins tacked on a run there with the Sano home run, then it was just a matter of time before the Yankee power got into effect, whether DJ LeMahieu hitting a solo shot, then Brett Gardner, and then LeMahieu with the icer, the clearing three-run double 
to put the game at rest, 10 to 4. And then what could you say about Saturday's game? Saturday, like I said, you had the, I hate to call him the Uber driver, but that's what he was, Randy uh, Dobnak, and he certainly was ineffective. The Didi Gregorius Grand Slam was the death knell for the Twins. And again, Rocco Baldelli trying to be cute, not putting in Odorizzi, as I said earlier. Not to say that Odorizzi would have made that much more of a difference, but again, he's pitched in Yankee Stadium before. He knows what it's like to pitch in that building when he was a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. And now they're down 0-2. Do they have a shot to win the series? I don't think so. There's no way, even if it comes back to the Bronx. So that's going to be your question. Can they win a game or somehow, some way, win two to bring it back to New York? The Twins, the Yankees have that number. Uh, that's all there is to it. It doesn't matter who the players are. doesn't matter who the manager is. doesn't matter whether even the ballpark, for that matter. Whether it's the old Metrodome or now the new stadium in Target Field. The Yankees just have the Twins number. And I could see this series ending tonight. What are you going to get from Severino? Who knows? Uh, you would think he's going to pitch effective. No pressure on him. He's up 2-0. So we'll see how he uh, fares come tonight. But I would think that this series is going to end tonight. Or if not, it's going to end tomorrow. I don't think it's going to go anywhere past four games. I said five last week because I thought the Twins, even with the Yankee pitching the way it is, and their starting pitching is decent. You know, you can't kill their starting pitching because we know about Tanaka. Paxton, although he was hit or miss, but you never know what you're going to get out of him. And you figure Severino will certainly play a big role in how far the Yankees will go, just as far as this series is concerned. But now, as I look at it, I could just see this being a sweep. Now, maybe if the Twins come out mashing early and they just keep pounding the Yankee pitching, then maybe we'll see a game four. But other than that, I do not see it. As far as Tampa Bay and Houston... Now, interesting scenario here where Charlie Morton's going up against his former team. We know Morton, who actually pitched pretty well against the A's in their wildcard game there on Wednesday. Although he didn't have his curveball, but his fastball was certainly active as he gutted through five innings. Well, if he's going to gut through five innings against the Astros, then chances are they're going to be swept. And Tampa Bay, they had a shot there in game two. Game one was pretty much broken open in that fifth inning where they scored the four runs and they didn't look back. Verlander, seven innings, you know what the deal was. Garrett Cole, 15 strikeouts, postseason record. He also pitches seven innings. But Tampa had a shot there, bases loaded in the ninth inning, Darno strikes out, and they couldn't get the tying or even a go-ahead runs considering they had the go-ahead run at first. And Tampa right now, their back's against the wall. Can they win today? Can they bring the series to a game four, game five? Uh, I can't see it. Excuse me, I don't know what you're going to get out of this uh, Tampa Bay team today. Maybe Morton's going to give you a little bit of a lift. But Morton, to me, is going to have to go seven innings at least in order for them to see another day. So with that said, I'm going to think the Astros are going to win. So the American League series are going to conclude. And as far as the National League is concerned, the Dodgers, after yesterday's performance with uh, Washington, can you see them coming back? You know Scherzer is probably going to start this game. And then Strasburg will pitch if there is a Game 5 on Wednesday, I think the Nationals, for everything that took place over the last 48 hours, or 24 hours, excuse me, because they played on Friday, the Nationals right now, I think they're going to be, it's going to be a tough chore for them to win this game. I think the Nationals, although this is a different team, you saw a little bit of that makeup there on Tuesday night in the wildcard game. Juan Soto, of course, continues to impress. His fielding, though, is a lot to be desired. I mean, he, he's an 
an adventure in left field. I'll just keep it at that. But I don't think the Nationals, I think these all these series are going to close out today. If any one of these series can be extended, I think it could be St. Louis and Atlanta. St. Louis, who showed a lot of gumption there in that first game. Coming back, they were down 3-1, tied the game, and then obviously went ahead to win that in the ninth inning. They had to hold off uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman hitting home runs. And I know Acuna Jr. was a lightning rod for not running out that ball there in the game one, and rightfully so. But of course, if you're Brian Snicker, how can you bench this guy? He's a key focal point of your offense and your team, pretty much. And although he should have been disciplined, but what are you going to do? It's October. You got to play these guys, and there's no way, shape, or form that you could actually have him bench for one game, knowing, and especially at that point when you're down 0-1 in the series. And then they come back in the way they did yesterday with the Braves, ninth inning, just a bitter loss. Carlos Martinez couldn't seal the deal for the Redbirds, which would have been a big boost. It could have closed out the series today. But I think if there's one series that can extend, it would be that one. And But would you be shocked if the Braves win the game? Absolutely not. But if any one of these series can be extended, I think it's going to be that one. Uh, I don't think the Nationals, they'll show me something if they can push it to a game five. And we've seen it time and time again. Now, who knows? Maybe the National fate could turn, considering they lost all these elimination games at home with the wild card game this year notwithstanding. Maybe if they have an elimination game on the road, maybe they could pull that out and win it. Who knows? But I, I just think the Dodgers, and look at what they did yesterday. Not only did they pound on Corbin, but they just got key hits from key their whole lineup. Whether it's Kiki Hernandez, even Russell Martin, Justin Turner with the dagger there with the home run. It's almost as if this team, no matter, as good as their lineup is, everybody's going to look at Cody Bellinger. But they have guys there that could hit. They have guys that are clutch. Justin Turner, as we've seen over the years, clutch. Russell Martin, not to say he's a clutch guy, but he's been in a lot of these type of scenarios. Remember, he was a Yankee many years ago. He's he's familiar with playoff baseball. And when you have guys like that on your team who, as we know, the Dodgers, they're looking to go back to a World Series for the third straight year. It's a winning ball club. They know what it takes. And then now with the Nationals, we haven't seen them get over that hump, over that hurdle. Backs against the wall, they're able to win these game fours like they have in the past. But are they going to have enough? Is there going to be enough in their tank, even with the game at home, for them to win it? Because once the Dodgers smell blood, they seem to pounce and away they go. So that's how I'm going to look at today. I can see the both American League series done, Dodgers winning, but I'm going to say St. Louis pushes a game five back to Atlanta at SunTrust Park on Wednesday. And then you have the ALCS, which kick off on Saturday, where everybody's looking at Yankees in Houston. And then you also. Going to look at the NLCS, which starts Friday. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. Now, another baseball news. And of course, you know, I got to get to this. So the Mets finally lay the wood on a one Mickey Calloway. And came to as no surprise. Once you knew that Mickey Calloway was going to drive to Florida back home 19 hours and not meet with the Met Brass. That was certainly the beginning of the end. And I've been on this podcast for many months talking about Callaway's ineffectiveness. But the one thing I did give him is that the team stuck together and certainly played well down the stretch to the tune of 10 games over 500. And I thought just based on that alone, despite the fact that I didn't want him back next year, 
because this team needs to get to the promised land considering you got to look at these windows and these windows are always finite. I don't care what people could say with the young core. I don't care if people could say, well, we have the pitching, whatever it may be. These windows are small. Just ask the Kansas City Royals. And there's a lot of other teams I'm sure we could go down the list. Even the Astros, they're in the middle of their run now or even the Cubs for that matter. Joe Madden. Yes, they did win their World Series. Yes, the Astros have won a World Series. But with the talent that both of those teams had and with the Astros, their season is still yet to be finished as far as their story is concerned. But as we all know, we have to look at these time frames as precious and be able to seize the moment. And with the Mets right now, they need to get a manager that's going to seize this moment. And by letting Callaway go was a big step in the right direction for this team to finally get their man. But, an underlying but, because this is enormous. As I've said time and time again on this podcast, you could go back in the archives and find it yourself. Do you trust Brody Van Wagenen? Do you trust Jeff Wilpon to find the right man for this job to take them to the mountaintop? It remains to be seen. You know me. You know what my answer to that is. That answer is no, I cannot. And whether it's all the Joes that are lined up, whether your name is Joe Espada, whether your name is Joe Madden, which I know a lot of the talk is him going back to the Anaheim Angels, which is a team where he first got his coaching chops back in the days with Mike Socia, or whether your name is Joe Girardi. And obviously a lot of people are very familiar with the one Joe Girardi in these neck of the woods. If you're looking at those guys or even the other names that may have surfaced, whether your name is Carlos Beltran and a couple other can, uh, managerial candidates that are trying to throw their hat in the ring, Buck Showalter is a guy that is showing a little interest. The Mets, they have to get this right. And to me, the only way to get it right, and I said this last week and I'll say it right now, is Joe Girardi. And not only because he managed in New York and not only because of his track record and I don't want to hear, oh, well, he was a Yankee. How could you hire this guy? Well, remember, the Mets hired Willie Randolph and he was pretty successful while he was here, barring that 2007 collapse and we understand that. But when you look at Joe Girardi and what he brings to the table, he is an analytics guy. Remember, he goes by his notebooks so it's not as if he's just Earl Weaver or he's just old school in that regard where you're just going to throw everything out the window when it comes to stats and matchups and things of that nature. But to me, he's the only guy that's right for this job because he can handle New York. He has a team that's ready to win now. And I don't want Joe Madden who tries to reinvent the wheel when it comes to baseball. I don't want a young guy in Joe Espada, which we get that a lot of these teams are looking to get those young guys or those first timers, whether you're Rocco Baldelli, whether you're Gabe Kapler, whether you're Mickey Calloway, understood, understood. But uh-uh. you've been down that road You've experienced that road. Now it's time to detour and go to maybe not necessarily what you know or what you want to do. But if you want to bring a championship to Flushing, you got to go with what's right. And what's right is hiring Joe Girardi. I know Buck Showalter is a good baseball man. He's a great baseball man. But what has he won in his career? I understand that Dusty Baker is another guy who has a very proven track record and even had two successful years in Washington. Right. They didn't win a postseason series. We understand they didn't get the brass ring, but at the same time, well-respected and certainly a very good manager. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want him either. Carlos Beltran, another first-timer. I understand he may not have left the Mets in good graces. And how interesting would that be if Carlos Beltran comes in and then Zach Wheeler goes out, which were the two key components for the trade 
that brought Zach Wheeler here to New York to begin with back in 2011. So when you put it all together, to me, there's just one answer, and it's Joe Girardi. If it's anything less than that, if they bring in Dusty Baker, if they bring in Buck Walter, yes, I'll, hey, whomever they may bring in, you're going to have to live and deal with it, no matter what, Met fans. But you only hope that whomever this manager is, not only they get it right, but that you're going to feel comfortable knowing that this is going to be the guy that's going to do it. And the only one about all those names is the former Yankee manager. That's it. If there's anybody else that's out there, I mean, people could throw Wally Backman. I know I said that last week. I said in a perfect world, and that's a first-time manager, I get it, but we all know Wally Backman's a Met. And Wally Backman has been successful, albeit in minor league situations as a manager, as you just won a championship now with the Long Island Ducks, for what that's worth. But how I look at it, people, and I don't know if whether you agree or disagree, but my opinion is going to stand true to the point where there's always that final piece of the puzzle. And we understand that the players on the field is going to be the ones that determine how far a Mets season can go. It's not all based on the manager. We get that. But at the same time, you've seen what has transpired over the last two years with Mickey Calloway. He's not a major league manager. And when you look at the candidates that are out there, and mind you, I'm sure there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in each and every one of them. Even Joe Girardi, that, for that matter. I'm not making Joe Girardi out to be Miller Huggins. Or making him out to be Connie Mack. Or making him out to be Tommy Lasorda. But at the same time, we know this guy. We know what he's capable of. He knows how to handle a bullpen. He knows how to handle pitching staff. We all know he's a former catcher. And obviously he knows how to deal with the media. So Mickey Calloway, as he was cursing out a reporter in Chicago, right, you're not going to have to worry about that with a one Joe Girardi. So, to the Wilpons... To Brody Van Wagenen, who wants to make this big splash, he says, the big splash is not Joe Espada. No offense to him. The big splash is not Carlos Beltran. No offense to him. Right, would the big splash be Dusty Baker or Buck Showalter? Yes. And we understand the Mets don't want to pay a manager. We get that too. But guess what? Do you want to win a championship? Do you want to, not necessarily just appease the fan base, but do you want the fan base to have some enthusiasm going into 2020, knowing that the core is intact, knowing that we're just a couple of pieces from a personal standpoint, to take us not only to the postseason, but maybe even deeper than that. And the only way to get that is to have a general that's going to lead this team to that promised land. So therefore, Wilpons, Brody Van Wagenen, you want to make a splash? You want to make a cannonball splash? Hire that former Yankee manager. It's not going to be a PR disaster. It'd be a PR disaster if you bring in somebody who's not of that ilk or who doesn't have that track record. And right, I know I mentioned Buck and right, I get it. But I'm sure myself and I'm in a majority of other Met fans to know that that's who we want as our manager. So you know what? Go out and get him. All right, let's get to NFL Week 5 where you had your Thursday night and your Sunday night games were pretty much the highlight games of the weekend. If you want to talk about Cowboys-Packers, listen, the game was over the third quarter. I understand that the Cowboys made it interesting there as they came back and tried to Make a valiant comeback. But even at 34-24, when uh, Brett Maher missed that field goal there with, what was it, 144 to go, and it was a chip shot, that's when you knew that there was no way, shape, or form the Cowboys were going to come back and win that game. But other than the Thursday night with the Rams and Seahawks, and the Seahawks prevail as they're now 4-1 in that division, and the Rams have now lost back-to-back games, 
when you look at last night where you have another unbeaten team go by the wayside and who would have thought that the Colts would go in there and have the defensive effort that they put forth to beat the Chiefs 19 to 13 they scored 13 points in their building and the Colts there are two teams in the NFL that I'm looking at and I'm saying to myself and the jury's still out in San Francisco but the two teams that I picked as unders this year were Indianapolis and Oakland and right now they're looking making me look really bad and give it up to Marlon Mack who had a big game on the ground last night and again we talked about their defense and everybody's going to look at the Colts and they're going to look at Everything that's uh, centered around their quarterback and Jacoby Brissett having to fill in for Andrew Luck, as we all know, and T.Y. Hilton, who played last night. But when the defense shows up the way they did, boy, that was a statement that uh, we haven't seen from the Colts in quite some time because we all know throughout their, especially in the last 20 years, it's all about their offense. So kudos to the Colts for pulling that game out. And I know that Patrick Mahomes had an issue with his ankle. He started off the game red hot, but certainly in the last few quarters was not the same uh, performer that he was in that first quarter. So when you look at now the unbeatens, we only have San Francisco tonight and then New England, which shocker, even though they were down 7 nothing, and a lot of people thought that, oh, geez, with the Redskins hanging on and looking like they could uh, keep themselves in a game and maybe somehow, some way, steal a victory, uh, that was not to be. In fact, their coach was fired right after the game in Jay Gruden, which I guess came to no one's surprise. So we have our first terminated Uh, head coach in the NFL this year and that is down in Washington as far as the other games concerned the Cardinals finally got their first win of the year beating the now still winless Cincinnati Bengals kudos to Cliff Kingsbury getting his first win with Kyler Murray and the Bengals still on the schneid there at 0-5 you still got a lot of offers in the NFL whether you're the Jets whether you're the Denver Broncos obviously the Redskins we've talked about Miami had a bye, so you didn't have to worry about them this week. So you still have a lot of teams that are looking for their first win, where right now you have two teams that are still not uh, faced with not uh, a loss just yet. And when you look at some of the other games, I mean, the Raiders had a great game in London there as they came back and beat the Bears. Buccaneers looked like they were going to try to steal the game from the Saints there. Early on, it looked like the Bucks. could you imagine? They would have went to L.A., beaten the Rams, and then had a chance to beat the Saints here, but that wasn't to be the case as Teddy Bridgewater had a big game. And look at what they've done since Breeze has gone out. And Breeze just recently posted a video of him throwing a football, so who knows if it's going to be less than eight weeks, which is the time frame, six to eight, of him not being able to suit up and perform for the Saints. So Bridgewater certainly filling in the gap pretty well here in his absence. You look at what happened with the Giants. It took two games before Daniel Jones faced a good defense and a good team. And that was a big win for the Vikings considering you know, what the Packers did. And even with the Bears losing, it certainly keeps them in the mix in the NFC North. But Daniel Jones did not have a good game. And the Vikings certainly laid the wood on the Giants there. Dalvin Cook won another big game, 132 yards on the ground or 23 yards that he had as well as Kirk Cousins being efficient 21-25. to So he had a very good game for him. And a lot of the other games in the league, listen, Bills and Titans, that was tooth and nail. You know, Titans are always going to play those games in the teens. They're always going to play those low-scoring type games. But the Bills get back in the win column after losing to New England last week. What can you say about the Jets, Eagles? And the Eagles actually picked as my knockout, so I'm still alive. I'm 5-for-5 five five here to start the season. To recap, I picked Seattle Week 1, Baltimore Week 2, Minnesota Week 3. Uh, this past week, 
obviously picked the Eagles, and then my week four pick, I have to go back through all the teams again, My week, I picked the Chargers because they beat the Miami Dolphins. So now I have to pick another knockout for week six, which I'll get to in a couple of minutes. The Panthers, that was a very interesting and impressive win over the Jaguars where Christian McCaffrey had a big day on the ground and Kyle Allen has won three straight games, so no rush back for Cam Newton. So look what the job that he's done there and his three starts for the Carolina Panthers as they certainly got themselves back in the mix there in the NFC South. So kudos to the Panthers. They started off 0-2, remember. Uh, Broncos beating the Chargers. I said the Broncos were the, one of the teams that had not won, so my apologies. I got to take that back. Broncos won in LA yesterday, 20-13, to get their first victory for Vic Fangio. So again, that's a faux pas on my part. So the Broncos are not one of those teams that are winless. And the Chargers, boy, I tell you, the Chargers, you, and you have a rough Sunday night game with the Chargers and Steelers out in LA next week. But the Chargers are certainly underachieved. Now Melvin Gordon, who had come back into the fold as far as being a part of the team, he uh, was only able to get 31, ca- uh, 31 yards on 12 carries. So certainly wasn't going to be as effective as an efficient. It's going to take him some time to get back into not just playing shape, but game shape. And the Chargers right now, ugh, if you thought that they were looking to get a wild card this year, if you picked them in the beginning of the season, well, they're certainly right now, I'm not going to say on life support, but uh, certainly on tenuous ground as far as doing anything in the AFC this year. Although having the Chiefs lose was a big help, but now there's still two games behind them. And uh, the Chargers right now are reeling. Uh, We talk about the Patriots winning against the Redskins. And uh, that's pretty much what you have here when it comes to a week number five in the NFL. Texans put 53 on the Falcons. Falcons is just disappointing. Even off the blank, I know he had some words of encouragement for his coach, Dan Quinn. It may be time to move on from Dan Quinn as a coach. And I understand you want to have some continuity. You can't change coaches or managers as if it's you know a video game. But I, I don't want to say that there's a Super Bowl hangover from that loss. But you got to wonder, man, with that coaching staff and even with Kyle Shanahan leaving, and I understand that's a huge part of it because with that offense and what they did back in that year when they went to the Super Bowl, they, they have not been the same team. Whether it's on offense, whether it's the coaching, obviously the can't fire all the players, so the coach is going to be the one that's the scapegoat or the fall guy. And Dan Quinn, ever since then, he has certainly have not been able to rally the troops to try to forget that indelible moment in their franchise's history, blowing that 20-3 lead. And I don't want to hinge all of it on that. But of course, when you look at the Dan Quinn era in Atlanta, it is going to be front and center that score is going to flash in your brain forever and ever and ever. And not to say that it's time to move on from him, but I'm sure the Falcon fan is probably thinking, it's time. And when the Texans put a 53 on you, I understand it's a road game too. You got to wonder, are the players are starting to lose their interest? Is the coach starting to, his words and his message, is it starting to wear thin? Certainly remains to be seen, although Arthur Blank doesn't see that to be the case as of right this moment, but still... Something that you have to keep an eye on uh, with the Falcons moving forward. And we talked about the Cowboys there losing. As far as the final game that I'll get to right now, and you know I'll spend a few minutes on the Steelers here. Whenever you're a fan, you always have hope. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter who, you always have hope no matter how dire your situation may be. And in the case of the Steelers, we all know no Roethlisberger. 
You had a team that finally beat the Bengals there on a Monday night. Mason Rudolph was, he looked like Phil Simms in the Super Bowl back in Super Bowl 21. Had a very good game. I get it's the Bengals and their Bengal defense, etc. Steel offense had a ton of sacks. Eight sacks against Andy Dalton there on the Monday night. And with the Ravens losing and with the help of the Browns last Sunday, you kind of look and say at this game against the Ravens, wow, if we could somehow, someway win this and if the Browns happen to lose in San Francisco, which is quite possible, we're going to have a three-way tie at the top of the AFC North. Now, even with that being said, five games in, if that were the case, would the Steelers have a shot at making the playoffs? Well, if you win all the division games, you never know. But even still, I wouldn't look at it as a case of the Steelers are going to somehow make a run and become 9-7, and seven, win a division, and then host a playoff game come January. But that's what hope does. Hope does spring eternal. Hope does put some perspective on things to the point where it's like, hey, well, if this happens and if that happens and we can control our own destiny, then who knows? Well, yesterday was a case of the Steelers not being able to seal the deal, whether it was at the end of regulation and certainly in overtime when it comes to protecting the ball. And of course, the injury to Mason Rudolph, which was rough to watch at the beginning just to see him crumble to the ground like that. And to think that he actually got up on his own power said a lot about him and a lot about his toughness. Even when he came out of the game, they bring in Devlin Hodges, a guy who is from Sanford, not Stanford, Sanford. I couldn't even know. I don't know what Sanford is if my life depended on it. But here's Devlin Hodges, who's your third string quarterback, coming to the game. And other than one bad throw that thankfully was overturned because of a holding penalty on the Raven defense. And that was a ball that stood up in the air for about four hours, it seemed, before it was picked off. He actually did a very pretty good job. Made some good throws, showed poise, didn't seem rattled. The moment wasn't too big for him. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say that this guy is going to be successful. But I guess when you have a guy that goes in and nobody has tape on and you don't know what to expect, maybe that was a product of what the Ravens were doing. They probably just played a little bit on their heels, didn't know what to expect from this guy, what kind of arm he had. But Hodges wasn't the story. The story was Rudolph going out of the game, even though he had to fill in. But the big thing was is that the Ravens were pretty much doing everything they could not to get that game-tying field goal right before the end of the fourth quarter. In fact, they were actually passing the ball when they were in field goal territory on second and third down, which made zero sense, even though they were able to get the field goal, Justin Tucker, and then the overtime. And I don't know what the hell happened with the coin toss, but I was at a bar watching the game, and they didn't have the sound on. So the coin toss goes, and Cameron Hayward looks like the Steelers won the toss, and it looked like they're ready to elect to take the ball to start the overtime. But then I had flashbacks of the Thanksgiving game in 1998 with Jerome Bettis and uh, Pony at the Pontiac Silverdome with that coin toss and we know how that ended out Steeler fans but we had the same scenario where now the Ravens get the ball to start overtime and I was puzzled to say beyond belief but now here we are three and out Steelers get the ball they're starting to move the ball a little bit and then the one pass where Juju Smith-Schuster gets the ball knocked out of him by Marlon Humphrey who had an awful game but he made the biggest play of the game as he punched the ball out of Juju Smith-Schuster they recover the ball and a few plays later Justin uh, Tucker hits it through the uprights. Now, it looked like it was going to hook wide uh, left. And then for the last what second, it just, <laughs> I tell you, the last what second, it actually curved right in, right into the, uh, not into the uh, goalpost or the upright, but it just snuck in. And the Steelers lose just a tough loss, 26-23. 
and Juju Smith-Schuster was beside himself. It, it brought me back to the game last year against New Orleans where he says that he vowed that, that something like that wouldn't happen again. Well, it happened again in the most pivotal point of the game. And one in four, Steelers, their season's going to be out to sea. There's no doubt about it. And for those out there going to think that, oh, geez, why did we trade our number one pick for Minka Fitzpatrick? We had a couple tackles in this game. He didn't really have too much of an imprint defensively as far as he's concerned. But I'm of the camp that I thought it was a good trade. You can't second guess it now. The Steelers aren't going to tank. There's no way. The, t- the organization is too proud just to go into a shell and not play up to the standard or the capability that this team is playing, despite the fact that you're now down to your third string quarterback. And if you're wondering who's the backup to Devlin Hodges, there's a one Paxton Lynch. So I'm sure he's going to have to come off the practice squad or wherever he may be at this stage of, uh, of the career or his career, the roster, whatever it may be. So that's what you have with the Steelers. Uh, and then they go, like I said, to play the Chargers next week. So we'll see how that goes, but just a tough loss for Pittsburgh. And when we look at a week six, you have Giants and Patriots as your Thursday night game. Certainly not going to bring a lot of joy to the Giant fan unless you're going to think back to Super Bowls 42 and 46, which I'm sure they're going to have a lot of the clips leading up to that game and probably during the game. But we know Eli Manning's not starting. It's going to be old Daniel Jones, and you would think it's going to be a blowout up in Foxborough. When we go through the list of games here, Texans at Chiefs. So Houston and Kansas City is right now, as I'm looking at it, is the highlight game so far. Eagles and Vikings. That looks like it could be a you know, pretty interesting game out in Minnesota. Oh, here's a game for you. Redskins and Dolphins. Who's going to win that game? If I had to take a guess, the Dolphins, they're probably spread as one. Or who knows? Maybe even the Redskins are favored. Uh, and I don't even know who the coach is. I know Gruden was fired, but I don't even know who the interim is. And I'm sure it's an interim coach, probably somebody from his staff. 49ers and Rams. Now, that's another interesting game from this standpoint. Depending on what the Niners do tonight, well, it doesn't matter, but let's say if the Niners do win their 4 0. Remember, they already had their bye last week. The Rams have now lost two games in a row. The game is in LA, but that is a huge game for the Rams. That's a, almost a must win because with the Seahawks at 4 1 right now, and if the Niners go 4 0, the Rams cannot afford to lose any more ground considering they already lost to the Seahawks in the division. So that's a fascinating game that'll take place 4-0-5 on Sunday. And then you have Cowboys-Jets, your Monday night game, Lions-Packers. Eh. So yeah, I mean, you have some decent games here, at least when you look at uh, Saints-Jaguars. Uh, so just to go through the gamut, again, I don't know if you want to look at even Seahawks-Browns, Panthers-Bucks. Right now, the games that I'm looking at here, Houston and Kansas City, Philly at Minnesota, San Francisco at LA, the Rams. And that's pretty much it. Nobody's going to go crazy for Titans, Broncos. Nobody's going to go crazy for Falcons, Cardinals. Oh, geez. Bengals, Ravens. So, yeah, about at least you have a few better games this week. And as far as my knockout pick is concerned, hmm. yeah, this is going to be interesting because could I go with the safe bet and say New England? That means I can't use New England again. And I think I may just do that. Because going through the slate here, do I dare even pick Arizona over Atlanta? You see, Atlanta could score, though. That's the thing. That scares me. I haven't picked Dallas yet. You know what? There it is. There's your pick. Sorry, Jet fans. Dallas is going to be my pick. And for the simple fact that I don't think Sam Darnold's going to be ready. 
And way to go, Adam Gaze, as he has Sam Donald take all the first team reps until Friday when he finds out that Donald's not going to play. So they have Luke Falk, and no fault to him. But Luke Falk goes in and you see the game that he performed against the Eagles yesterday. So I'm going to pick, and I picked Philly last week against the Jets or yesterday, and I'm going to pick the Cowboys. And especially after the Cowboys coming off of two straight losses, including the loss yesterday to the Packers, uh, that's going to be my knockout pick for this week. All right, a couple other things before we bid adieu. As far as the college football is concerned, it's going to start to heat up here a little bit. When you look at what's going to take place this coming weekend as far as the games are concerned, Red River Shootout, like I mentioned, where Oklahoma and Texas will go at it. So that's going to be a huge game as far as any type of rankings moving forward. But it's just so logjam at the top. Uh, we all know Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State looks like from what I saw earlier this morning, they're actually tied, if that's possible, when it comes to the top 25 rankings. So Georgia and Ohio State tied. You also have LSU, Oklahoma. Florida had a huge win there over Auburn on Saturday. So you know they're going to move up in the ranks. Michigan was slowly but surely trying to creep back in. They beat Iowa. So right now Michigan, although they're going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the whole breakdown of the four teams in the playoffs but you're certainly going to have a bunch of games that you're going to look at this coming weekend that could determine what could lie ahead as far as that uh, college football playoff and there's still plenty of football to be played as we know but you got uh, Alabama against Texas A&M this coming weekend and A&M now is in the top 25 you have Penn State and Iowa they're going to go at it and Iowa's going to look to rebound after losing at Michigan on Saturday Florida LSU which is an enormous game for implications down the road so College football is going to start to ramp up here a little bit and we'll certainly break it all down next week and see how all these teams fare and what's uh, it's going to shake out. But nobody's going to crack that Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. Yeah, it remains to be seen. Can Harbaugh finally beat Ohio State? That's her down the road, of course, in late November. And as top-heavy as college football is, to have all these teams in the mix... Strengths of schedules, things of that nature. It's going to be interesting to see how this will play out. You would think you're going to see the usual suspects there, the usual teams, especially if it's chalk, if they all win their games outright. But who knows? That's why you want to have a couple of upsets. You want to have some teams lose throughout the course of the season. There will be some arguments for the one team, the, the team that has the one loss on their record, that one little blemish. That, oh, why is that team there where the undefeated is in? And so on and so forth. And that's the fascinating thing about college football. But as we all know, as I said before, it is top-heavy. And it's pretty much going to be the teams that we would expect there come late November or even, I should say, early December after all the conference championships are done and when everything aligns for the uh, college football playoff somewhere around the New Year's Eve week because now New Year's Eve I believe is on Tuesday this year so it's not on the weekend a lot of college football to be played we'll certainly uh, keep our eye on that in the uh, weeks and of course the next month overall as far as the NHL is concerned NHL is finally underway Rangers are looking good they got two wins under their belt coming out of the gate pretty quick also you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets those are uh, that's a team that has three wins now so they started off their year in a pretty fine fashion. So is Toronto. Obviously a lot of expectation up there when we talk about the Maple Leafs. Uh, obviously it's really way too early to get into what's happening here. But with the NHL now underway, it's another sport that we could talk about that we could certainly sink our teeth into. Now, once the football season's over, 
we'll certainly delve into it a little bit more. But for the hockey fans, just kind of appease them just a little bit. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, I'm in tune and I'm uh, abreast of what's happening and what's happening on the ice. So, and more so as we get later into the year and certainly after the new year, we'll get into it a little bit more. But uh, right now, the NHL, as we look here, Vegas off to a good start, 2-0. Same for Buffalo, and that's a team that a lot of people think that they could be on the uptick considering they've been one of the doormats of the NHL over the last few years. Bruins 2-0. Islanders got their first win yesterday against Winnipeg. Winnipeg was here all week and certainly did not do well. They were 1-2. They beat the Devils there on Friday night. They lost to the Rangers there on opening night. And what else do we have here? Uh, Yeah, so that's pretty much what we got so far here. Just five days into this NHL season. And then the NBA season will kick off two weeks from tomorrow. Preseason games are underway. I know Celtics have played last night against Charlotte. But uh, yeah, not much there to report. Not much there to get into when it comes to the NBA. But we'll be sure to be full force there when the curtain rises on the 2019-2020 season there. Two weeks from tomorrow. All right, now to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is former Cleveland Cavalier coach David Blatt, who is coaching overseas in Greece for the, let me see if I pronounce this correctly, you know me and my pronunciation sometimes, Olympiakos. Unfortunately, he has to step down because it has been announced that he has been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So not only uh, my thoughts, prayers go out to him and his family, but uh, for him to have to step down after two months, and we all know how unceremoniously uh, had left and was dismissed of the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of years back, going back to the 2016 season, which, of course, Tyron Lue filled in, went ahead and won the championship, and the rest is history. So I know he's going to battle through this and uh, wish him the best. So uh, that's my hero of the week. And then my zero of the week, I'm going to the NHL for this one, and I'll try not to spend too much time on this because I know a lot of people aren't going to care, but you can look it up, YouTube, and the guy's name, Colorado Aval- the Colorado Avalanche defenseman, my zero is Nikita Zadorov. And they played Calgary the other day where he ran Austin Zarnik into the boards. Looked like it was a clean hit, but the player Zarnik crumpled to the ice. And then Milan Lucic, who is the last of a dying breed in the NHL, went over to nudge him a couple of times and then gave him a right hook with the glove on. And as Zadorov was looking toward the referee to kind of get some help, get a whistle, get a penalty... He gets pummeled, gets into a fisticuff with uh, Milan Lucic. Not to any degree where gloves were dropped and a lot of punches were exchanged. But he felt that he was embarrassed for the referee for not making a boarding call. Or for making the boarding call, I should say. Because he felt it was a legal play. And then he said he got sucker punched. Uh, I don't know if he realizes, but getting sucker punched means that you weren't looking. And all of a sudden this punch comes from behind. Hence sucker punch. Where he was face to face with... Luchik, and at the same time, with Luchik just pushing him and harassing him and then coming across with that right that he delivered right below the jaw. And mind you, he had a shield on, of course, where it seems like 95% of the people in the NHL wear shields. But here he is trying to look for help for the ref. Then he calls out the ref in the post game, And then on top of that, saying he got sucker punched, three strikes, my man. You're done. Sorry, Nikita Zadorov. You're my zero of the week. And look it up on YouTube. Uh, it would be interesting to get your take. And what you feel about that. Obviously, a lot of people, especially under 30 or 35, they look at a play like that and say, ah, get Luchik out of here. He's a bum. He's just taking up space on the ice. Well, the antithesis of that is policing his player 
where, oh yeah, you're going to run my guy. He's going to be you know, laid out in the ice. And then all of a sudden, you're not, as if you're going to skate around and not take any pay or penalty for that. Uh-uh. That's why you need guys like Luchik in the game. But of course, as we all know, the NHL is a far cry from what it once was. And uh, that's a shame in its own right. So that's my hero in zero of the week. One programming note next week, people. As we all know, the podcast, I usually air it Monday afternoon, Eastern time around commute time, five o'clock. So as you're going home or maybe you're in the gym or cooking, whatever it may be, you could listen to what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. Well, I'm actually traveling out of the country starting tomorrow and I'm not back or scheduled to be back into the States until the following Thursday. So that would be the 17th. So we're not going to have a pod next week. Something has to be catastrophic or I don't want to say catastrophic. That's too strong of a word. Something has to be super noteworthy for me to get on the air or to record something to see if I could post it on my website. And of course, that's at jreels.com. Just so you know, next Monday, you're not going to get a pod. I may, depending on how I feel or depending on what's gone on in the world of sports between now and then, I may put up a pod that Friday and then follow it up with what's going on on Monday. So just want to give everybody a heads up. If you're wondering next Monday, hey, how come we haven't gotten a podcast? Well, this is the reason why, uh, since I'll be out of the country and won't have a lot of access to technology. Yes, I'll have my phone, of course, but at the same time, uh, I would need my laptop to connect uh, a lot of the social media stuff and to make sure I could post the audio, et cetera, et cetera. So it's certainly going to be a bit of a chore. And uh, we're going to have to wait just a few more days for to get the next podcast. So just want to put that out there for everybody. Uh, as edification and with that being said people as always i'm uh, greatly thankful appreciative for your support and listening downloading sharing this content with whomever is interested in the world of sports and as i implore and continue to have you do so uh, just go to wherever you listen to your podcast whether it's on apple google spreaker stitcher spotify luminary iHeartRadio, wherever Castbox, player fm all those platforms if you could just go ahead please subscribe as well as leave a rating, post a review. Uh, as I say each and every week, all that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast and hopefully generate future guests on this program, uh, which is imperative because I could talk sports all you want, but obviously I want to reel in more guests as time goes on to not only make this show of mine more credible, but obviously to bring you back more to listen, not only just to what I have to say, but also the former athlete, current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, writer, whomever it may be. Uh, each and every week here on this program. Also, you could hit me up on any of my social media accounts, whether it's uh, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook page, as well as an email at the J Reel Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up with a DM, email, whatever, any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. I'm open to it, people. Please don't be shy. Feel free to do so as I continue to deliver everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, the world of the gridiron, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J. Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J. Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.